Lordy, and welcome back to the Butler Sports Affair, the show with all the ball athletics you can handle. I'm your host, Ethan Pollock, and today I'll be joined later by my rotating panel of Jake Kaufman and James Andrews. But first, let's run down some of the headlines and topics for today's show. Firstly, the Butler football team has found their new head coach in Mike Uremovich to help bring a new culture to the Bud and Jackie Selleck Bowl. Next up, four cancellations has led to the women's basketball team only playing one game almost one month into the Big East Conference play, with their next game against the big bad number 10 ranked UConn Huskies. Last but not least, after a big win over DePaul, the Butler men's basketball team has fallen into a major slump, dropping their last two games to two ranked opponents. Now, first up on the plate, we will be digging into the Butler football team. Alrighty, so our first topic that we're going to be jumping into here today is going to be the Butler football team because obviously we've seen it's been out for a little while, but we still want to cover it. At the Butler football team has found a new head coach after 16 years with the Butler Bulldogs. Jeff Voris, the former head coach, has decided to dis- uh, resign from the team, leaving the Bulldogs in search of a new head coach who they ended up finding in, in a big hire from a guy that was formerly in the FBS, in Mike Uremovich. He was hired uh, coming out of Temple University. So this is a big hire, and hopefully it'll bring some presence and some change here to the Bulldogs, as we've seen a little bit rough streak as of recent. But to be talking a little bit more about it today here, I'm going to be joined by Jake Kaufman here to talk about the football team. So, Jake, how's it going so far? Doing good. Um, it's exciting, you know, that we obviously got a new head coach and I'm lo- really looking forward to it. Absolutely. So we'll dive into it. So Yuremovich uh, is uh, actually a guy who's got a lot on his resume as he formerly kind of started off in the NAIA, which is a little bit even lower than the FCS, which Butler is currently in. And he coached at University of St. Francis in Juliet, Illinois, coached there for six years and actually had some really, really great uh, seasons there, including a championship where they ended up winning, I believe, in 2011, which was the most successful season the Fighting Saints had all season long. So just to be able to start that and then work his way up to then at North Carolina State for a few years, then he moved up to Northern Illinois and then finally up to Temple. And he's been the offensive guru, which is something different since Jeff Boris was a little bit more of a defensive-minded coach Kind of a switch that we have, I guess, coming to this Butler uh, team, don't you think, right, Jake? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely is. And um, I think that this is an amazing hire for Butler. I mean, you know, it's pretty hard a lot of times if coaches are at the um, FBS level and especially being able to have like important positions, like, you know, being an assistant head coach and offensive coordinator. It's not all that often that you see them go down to FCS to take over a team, especially one that, you know, hasn't had a ton of success recently. So this is a really great opportunity, not just for us, but for Uremovich himself. Going to take a little bit getting used to say that name, but um, I'm really excited about it. It's um, obviously our priority is winning, but I think it's going to, we're also going to see a more exciting brand of football because we haven't really had, like you said, we've had Jeff Forrest the last 16 years who we definitely had some good moments with him, but he was always a defensive minded guy. And I think that just having the, the ability to have an offensive mind who's also coached against some very high level defenses in his career, there's a lot of potential future of this program. And I'm hoping that, you know, not just his mind, but his ability and having been at a winning place at the FPS level will help us get better recruits as well. It'll be, it's a lot good thing can really come from this. 
And there is bright futures here coming for the team. As I mean, I want to mention this part too, is that in Yuremovich's first game uh, as a, or calling the offensive plays for Temple when he was first hired in 2019, he set the school record of 695 total yards and 507 passing yards in a game against Bucknell. Imagine if they bring that to Butler. I mean, I'd start going to more games. I think the fans would start loving it. We might see more people showing up at games, don't you think? Yeah, that was actually something I was about to touch on. Touch on, um, I, you know, obviously we are a pretty passionate sports school, but it's been honestly difficult to work for the football team and go to the games recently. So I really think that you know, not even just that first having a competitive team, having an exciting team. I really think we could get more people to fill because if we're the Selic, the Selic Bowl is a great place, but it's not like it's a giant stadium that requires a ton of seats to fill. I really think that with this system, we could be getting it full close to every game as long as we're putting a good product out there. And I think that you know. We have a good offensive mind now here to do it. And again, I just think that the transition is, or the dynamic of having someone who's coached at the FBS level as an offensive coordinator is just such a big dynamic to bring down to an FCS team. And I really, I mean, obviously there's a lot still to happen before the season. There's turnaround players. We obviously, there's a lot of other stuff that has to be worked out pretty early, but there's a lot of reasons to be optimistic already. I know. And if you don't believe us, we got a few more names that have actually even come out and said some amazing stuff about this hire as uh, we got Joe Thune, who, for those who don't know, it was actually a all pro offensive lineman and two time Super Bowl champ in the NFL for the New England Patriots. This guy was uh, an offensive lineman at North Carolina State when uh, Uremovich was still the offensive line coach at North Carolina State. And he had some amazing words for him. He said, not only a great coach on the field, he's a great man off the field. Butler will be in good hands. And I wish the program the best of luck. Words coming out of a guy like that is not as incredible to hear and kind of leaves us with a better feeling ourselves because usually uh, when you get a new coaching hire, nobody really knows. There's a lot of uncertainty coming in, but we've got some big names going out like Joe Thune and also another guy named Dan Ruchar, who's the run game coordinator and now a tight end coach for the New Orleans Saints. He both or both these guys are calling for this as an amazing hire, an amazing guy. I cannot wait. I mean, this is I have, I'm at a loss of words. I think, but this might be a, an amazing hire. This team and program might be finally going in the right direction, and the Butler Bulldogs might get back start and or might get back to winning again, and we might see some great football out on uh, the button uh, Jackie Selleck Bowl every single week. Yeah, um, just one last thing to say. And I think that another thing that shows how good this hire is, is normally like around the football community, news about FCS coach hirings don't aren't that big. Normally, there's not a lot of press about it. The fact that there's been as much as there is, I think, indicates and shows just how big this could be. I mean, I know we're kind of right a little bit starting to repeat ourselves just because there's there's so much that we need to figure out later. But again, it just it's it really is a good time to be a Butler football fan again. And, and I cannot wait. He is the new head coach for the Butler Bulldogs. So season is not until next year, but Butler is still winning in the offseason no matter what. So, But that's going to do it here for our section about the Butler football team and the new coach hire. So now we're going to be moving into our next topic, which is the greatest and the one everyone looks forward to. And it's time for some more basketball. So, like I just said, it's time for some more basketball. This time we're going to be starting with the women's basketball team as they have, well, they played less games than the men's team because they've actually had four games canceled so far. And we're almost about a month into the season already. So they've only played one game, and that was against Xavier. That game was 77 to 55. 
It was a thriller. Uh, it was a close game for the most part, but in the second half, Xavier began to pull away. And Jake has more on this as he's joining me once again to start talking about this. Jake, like I just said, uh, what did Butler do in this game that surprised you? I, I'm always saying this the whole high standard, it's all relative, but um, the team, even though, like you said, it was there's times and moments close overall, they did struggle a lot against the, um, a Xavier team that is not great. I think the one thing that they did do that really thing is they made they had they did make 11 threes, which is their highest amount of the year. So that, and that, that was really impressive, including Amelia Sexton, who hit five of 11 from three. So they definitely did a good job with that. Um, I also just, they also did a good job. Um, they've had games where they've really got rebounded, out rebounded by a lot. And the rebound margin was just, they only lost that by three. So they did do, definitely did some good things for, I think Xavier just is a tough matchup for them, even though they had shown up, they just had some, they felt they put a big emphasis on the paint and, um, Butler's one of Butler's best bigs, Alex Richard had been dealing with a leg injury. So she was only kind of playing. So there was a lot of that dynamic. And I think that um, the way our skit this season has been out for them, it's been, they've been very, they've played very few road games. They, their first, I believe seven games are at home. So it's still been an adjustment for a young team trying to learn how to play on the road. So I think that was the main thing, but you know, it was, and that it's crazy how long ago that game was. They, like you said, they've had somebody postponed due to COVID and um, they were supposed to actually play yesterday. Um, versus St. John's, but that was another game of COVID. And so, yeah. Uh, I mean, it's in this game that you were talking about. I mean, in the bat, the matchup between these two teams, Butler and Xavier, I mean, Butler has been able to win the last five games they played against each other. And then even though they lost the game, they still hold them. Uh, they still have a better record overall in the all-time series, but Still just a tough, tough game. And like you said, we played all these or our one and only game at home so far in the Big East Conference play. Um, but I, I noticed one thing that Xavier was controlling the paint almost the entire game. They had 18 offensive rebounds. And when you're a, a team that's down and you're allowing them to continue to get the ball again and again and getting all these chances, it's going to lead to more points. And they ended up scoring 26 points on those second chance opportunities. So that was, I think, the big name of the game. And I think yeah. Butler needs to improve on going forward is to try and slow down those uh, the offensive rebounds that the other team is getting and try and box them out. I mean, this you're on the, I believe, you're, you're on the defensive end. It should be able to get those rebounds. Um, but allowing them second chance opportunities again and again, like I said, it's not going to lead to success. So I think get, get some bigs or get some more bigs uh, out there and try and use their, use their arms, elbows, box them out, do the best he can. But that's, that's something I think they need to improve on right there. Um, yeah. One other thing I think is honestly a beer key is why I did the thing is while they did make 11 threes, they only made six, two point field goals the entire game. And which is kind of crazy to think about, but, and, and it's very, very difficult to win a college game when doing that. It's just, it is. Um, I mean, there's, Overall, the team, and it wasn't as much about bad sock shot selection most of the time. It was just like missing a lot of open looks. Um, Alex Richard, who we had on a couple episodes ago, who was at that point the team's leading source, she's now second behind Selena Tabor, who I'm going to talk about again in a, a little bit. But um, she actually had zero points and just kind of overall struggles. And I think um, just overall, the team missed a lot of shots. They generated pretty decent amount good shots, but just kind of. Didn't make them. And then I didn't, the turnovers again were an issue for them. They had 21 turnovers. Xavier had nine. 
my old saying that I always tell people is that a turnover is our way of defending yourself. And um, so that's always a difficult thing to manage, but you know, um, there were some good flashes. I just think that, you know, it's hard. They just got, this team has, is needs to have more consistency, being able to be healthy and not all being COVID just, it's been a, they've had to do encounter and deal with a lot this year. Both of our men's and women's teams really have. So. Yeah, yeah. it's just been a rough, rough year, but Hey, there's still a chance. And the fact that before the season started and all these cancellations were happening, these games were going to be completely canceled and they weren't going to be playing. And teams are getting free wins. But thankfully, the committee re, uh, reconsidered their plan that they had beforehand and reevaluated and allowed teams to then reschedule games. So all these games that Butler has had when they were dealing with these COVID issues, they will still play. So that means it's going to be a jam-packed back end of the schedule. So more games uh, to cover or still to cover will Make sure to do so, but we're moving on to the next game that we have, um, and it's a little bit of a big one here as the number 10 UConn Huskies will be coming here to Hinkle Fieldhouse to play, and yes, there is no Paige Buckets, I believe, since she is still injured, but um, it's still a very, very big matchup, and is there any hope, or should we get, obviously, our new top scorer, Selena Taborn, involved, or what is the hope in this huge, huge game? I mean... UConn's by their state and by their absurd standards are having a down year by being 10th in the country and Paige is obviously not out, but this team is still so talented. They're 10th in the country for a reason. Obviously, Gina is a, a really key player that's, you know, that a lot of people will consider one, the second best player on the team um, is Avina Westbrook. She is a very big player. Um, her numbers don't tell the full story, but she has been handling a lot of the point guard duties since Paige went out. Um Overall, they have a little bit of thing. There's just the – it's honestly the thing with UConn is that on we haven't – Butler's – you know, we started off against Indiana, our first game, which was the thing. But um, we haven't played elite talent like that since then. So it's a really big challenge, and especially because um, something that I wasn't really released to the public, but I, I found out is that almost the entire team over our winter break got COVID at some point or another. So they've the team's barely has has done like three actual full practices with full court drills since their last game at Xavier. So it's a really unfortunate situation to put them in against UConn. However, I do think that the one thing that plays to our advantage is that a lot of times we're get um, Butler's gotten beat by teams that shoot three well, and UConn has not shot well at all with since Paige went down. Not even just her, just the entire team as a general getting good looks. And the points in the paint have only been an issue or mostly been due to like missed closeouts and then driving and not because we're not like staying up with people. So I think there's a good chance. I mentioned some Leah Tabor an earlier fun stat. I found out she leads the entire country and on field goal percentage. I've, I had saw that about the big East and I was just curious. I looked up like, well, how is she country? Interesting stat that I didn't know <laughs> she leads the entire country. Um, obviously, we'd like, yeah, we'd like to try to feature her as much as possible. I think Alex Richard in the last game against Sierra had zero points, but I think it's more of an anomaly. I think the key for them is just a mix of twos and threes. Obviously, the numbers say three, 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 three. But just like I think if Butler can time and make their shot selection more in the flow of the game, limit the turnovers and just kind of – I think what they have to do is just with this kind of team is just stay in it. If they don't like flow flow away immediately or fall away, there's always a chance. I mean, that's what I'm going to say to it. I'm not going to say go out here and try to make a bold prediction, and say that, but I'm just going to say is that UConn is a more beatable team than they've been in a while, and as well as that, just you know, they they're probably hearing some of this stuff. 
they might think that this, you know, this team is nothing or stuff. And we've seen that, you know, if you don't take a team seriously on any given night, men's, women's, any level of basketball, you never know what's going to happen. I know. And we mentioned it. This Butler women's team kind of steps it up whenever we're playing against ranked teams. We mentioned that one of the big games that they've had or best games that they've had so far this season was against IU, like you mentioned earlier. Um, and who knows if now that it's in Hinkle, Hinkle magic could always happen. And we could see Tabor and dropping absolute dimes or just scoring out of the blue and just have a Tabor and takeover pretty much at that point, if she's able to start scoring and then get everyone else involved. And who knows, we could have an upset here in, at uh, the wonderful confines of Hinkle field house. Cause I think that this team, despite all its issues that we've had with COVID still has a chance to be able to do it. And we are a little bit younger, but get some, get some more experienced players in there and put it together. And if we start hitting our three pointers, since if you've noticed that Butler has been shooting more and more and more, as well as even attacking the rim as they've been taking less of those mid range shots and they're going straight to the, either the basket or they're going and just shooting right away. And even a fun stat too for you as well is that Butler has attempted 115 free throws in the last six games. And you go back to the other six games so far this season, uh, they only shot 63. So I like the game plan. I like the more aggressive attack towards the basket. And with a struggling UConn team, quote unquote, struggling team, even though they're still pretty darn good. Um, I still think they have a chance. So I think the biggest key to this game or the X factor is Zoe Jackson, our start, starting point guard. She's had very good games and there's been games of struggling. And for a young team, especially Butler does not have a ton of primary ball handle. She is their only real like primary playmaker. And, um, but there's been times where as a freshman, she's been flustered. And, but I do think that there's that including the Indiana game, that was her first collegiate game. Her now she had 16 and six assists. So I think the thing is that if she can, if she starts off well, get her, she's not much of a shooter, but she's very good at slashing games lane, getting to her left hand, which she relies on heavily. But I just kind of think if Butler can control the pace, cause UConn tries to play a lot faster, obviously, you know, the women's team, I think controlling the pace, there's a lot of things that little things that can happen that, you know, wouldn't one by themselves wouldn't switch the game. But if you could take knock down all these little things of things that you can improve on, or just even limit them a lot of, if you take enough small bites out of, an, out of something, it eventually can become a dent. So yeah, I'm excited for it tomorrow night. I really hope people, more people have been there than been in past games, but it's going to be a fun night. I think this will be a little bit more packed as it is a big ranked game, the biggest game of the Big East Conference play this season, at least inside of Hinkle. So, but who knows? We'll start packing the place and cheering on the women as they've got such a big game. That'll be Wednesday uh, on January 12th. So make sure you go check it out. 2 p.m. Go cheer on, uh, or excuse me, I believe it is. I think it's, it's 7 p.m. It's 7 p.m. Not during the week. Sorry about that. Excuse me. Uh, but that's going to do it here for our women's uh, basketball section as they are going to continue to keep going to the Big East. And speaking of Big East, we're gonna be switching to the other side into the men's basketball since they also began their Big East conference play schedule uh, with a great start and kind of a little bit more of a slump. But we'll go more into detail right after this. All righty, now we're moving on to our final topic of the day. And this one's going to be now covering, obviously, our big topic. It is the men's basketball team. And for this section, I'm going to be joined by another one of our rotating panel and James Andrews. James, it's good to have you back on. Haven't had you in a few weeks, but uh, how's it going? Thank you, Ethan. I'm doing really well. I got a little bit busy over break, had a couple of uh, you know career opportunities that I had to take advantage of. And, you know, I was doing a little bit better before the semester started today, but, you know, I was able to get to go to a couple of uh, Butler home games 
this past week with no classes. So, you know, overall, I'm doing pretty well. Yeah, it's great to be back, at least on campus and being able to put out some more videos for you guys, obviously. So, but um, we'll jump right into it first. So we've missed some of the games since we've been gone for a little while, a little bit longer than we uh, would have hoped. But thanks to uh, a little bit break that was much needed for all of us. So well, uh, the first game that we had was against uh, DePaul. Um, that one uh, was obviously a big start because uh, we were we were not even supposed to be. That wasn't supposed to be our uh, op- season opener because the first game got canceled against St. John's. We were supposed to be in Queens, New York, as we talked about earlier in our last podcast. But last minute, they got, that game got canceled because uh, too many players on St. John's tested positive. So that game got rescheduled all the way to February 18th. So then that meant the season opener was going to be at home against DePaul, which, hey, we started off. 1-0, big win at the Paul. James, what happened in that game? Oh, man. Well, first of all, Butler defended. I think that's got to be the big thing to start with. It was something that, you know, we talked about all last year. It was the one thing we could actually do well. You know, we couldn't score, but at least we could defend. So as long as we could, you know, get 60 points up per game, that, you know, we had give ourselves a chance to win. But that just hasn't been the case for a lot of the games this year. And that's where, you know, we're really starting to see this kind of slide is in our defense. But we didn't see that in the DePaul game. We came out with a focus to guard them and to stay in front and to guard with our feet and not foul. And I thought that was kind of the biggest things was just, you know, staying in front of them and then playing defense without fouling. You know, a lot of teams have good bigs. And so it can be really tough when, you know, teams are really just trying to force in your bigs. Like, for example, when we played Purdue and they were feeding those guys and our guys are getting into foul trouble and they're getting easy paint points. That was kind of the biggest thing that just didn't really happen in, in the DePaul game. Yeah, and I think one of the other big points was the fact that DePaul came into this game as being red hot. They were one of the hottest teams in the Big East, and people were kind of saying, is this DePaul's year? But because uh, they had uh, a guy on there averaging 20 or more than 20 points per game in Javon Freeman-Liberty, and he was the guy that we needed to stop. And we only limited him to just 13, or I believe it was 16 total points. Um, so, and we held him, he was four of 16 from the field. And that was a huge thanks to Aaron Thompson, who just completely took him out of the game. And that defense has been an absolute reason why we were able to come away with that game. And obviously Butler known for their defense and it is a huge, huge help. Yeah, that was the biggest thing I was going to point out about the game is, you know, we kept Freeman Liberty shooting 25% from the field. He shot one for eight from behind the arc. So clearly he was just never able to get anything going. And this DePaul team, they pretty much go as he goes. So he couldn't get going. This team really struggled to get going until kind of late in the second half. They kind of started putting together some momentum and made it a close game, probably much closer than what the dogs wanted it to be. But I think you're right about, you know, catching DePaul at the wrong time. It was definitely and DePaul is one of those teams that you you are going to look to in such a loaded Big East this year. That this may be your one just easier game or your one real chance to pull out a defining victory. But, you know, we, we really caught them at the wrong time, as you mentioned, how they were so hot. So I think it's even more impressive that we were able to go there and um, fend off their hot streak and then ultimately come out with the victory and start off the season one and own conference play. Even if it hasn't um, translated over to our past couple of games, we'll talk about here in a minute. It was still it's always still good to start off a conference play with a victory. It was a big, big win and also big help from our young gun, our young guns as well. And CMOS and Jaden Taylor adding 28 points. Definitely a great start that we wanted, but we'll move on to the next two games that have uh, occurred since uh, since then. And those have unfortunately been on the opposite side of the spectrum as uh, we played two ranked teams in the top 20 or AP poll top 25 in Seton Hall and Xavier. 
And just the Bulldogs played both games inside Hagel Fieldhouse and just could not come away with a win. Yeah, that's one of the most concerning parts is the fact that these games were at home. And not only do we not pull out with a win, but they were double-digit losses in both games. And both games, you know, we kind of had some momentum going at one point. We were just never able to consistently chip into the um, deficit because, you know, as we've seen with this Butler team all season, we're just not starting off games well. And when you're constantly putting yourself in a 10, 15 point hole, you know, halfway into the first half, you're just giving yourself such a tough time trying to dig out of it. And so while I thought we played well for the most part after we got into those holes, there's just only so much you can do to try to get your way out of it. So I was impressed with the way we were able to match them point for point, you know, a kind of midway through the game. And there's long stretches of the game where, you know, we're going back and forth scoring wise in both the Seton Hall and especially the Xavier games. Um, But then we just still weren't able to, you know, get meaningful stops and lead them to scores because, you know, you can evaluate basketball all you want and go as in-depth as you want. But at the end of the day, you need to get stops and then you need to get scores on the other end. And that's how you win. And we just didn't do it consistently enough in either game. I know. And the fact that another big part was to this issue, especially in the Seton Hall game, is we went from having all this success from the young guys coming off the bench against DePaul, and it just completely disintegrated uh, in the next game where they had zero points off the bench. Chuck Harris, big old donut. Simas, big old donut. You can't have that when some of the guys that are your big scorers on your team not be able to put up points in a very meaningful game against Seton Hall because of being able to get ranked wins this early is humongous if they're looking to try and get some any any respect from the AP poll and be able to increase their chances to be able to sneak into the uh, tournament in March. And so uh, struggles like that has been the reason why we still had issues. I mean, we still had some great play out of guys like Bryce Golden, who had one of those best games of the season. He had 19 points and including two uh, three-pointers that he's made. And he's only made two, or he only made, I believe, five before that in all the games prior. And he made two just in that same, or one game. So the fact that uh, he was able to splash from beyond the arc is give some hope for some of our big men who've also been struggling, don't you think? Right, James? Yeah, we have to give Bryce credit for the way he's really developed his shot this past year. You know, in the past, he could kind of go to his three-point mid-range shot a little bit. But last year, it just really looked off. And I think that could just be a growth thing. You know, he came in now uh, um, as a junior. He'll be a senior this He's a senior this year. So he's probably just still growing and adding muscle. And sometimes, you know, it just takes a year uh, to get your muscle development right, to get your shooting form back. But I, I definitely see a lot of improvement there. And I think his three-point shot or even just uh, open mid-range shot, catch and shoot, is a very good shot now for this Butler team. And that's something we didn't say a year ago. And like in that Seton Hall game, you know, a golden shot two for three from the three-point line, the rest of our team shot four for 22. So clearly him, he is one of the better shooters on our team right now at this point. And going to him for those looks isn't a bad thing. And it's not something that we're just going to lay at the end of shot clocks because he happens to have the ball in his hands and he has to throw it up. They're legitimate shots. Now the teams need to start game planning against. So I think, you know, as far as your question goes, how does that help the other bigs? Oh, it's humongous because now if you have, both Bryce Golden and Bryce Enzi on the floor together. Now they can start to run more high low. They can stretch it. One can do pick it. One can roll off a pick. One can pop off a pick. And even Enzi can shoot a little bit too. So it just adds a much more variance into what you're able to do. Because when you are running Enzi, Golden, and Thompson out all on the floor, we've seen how difficult it is to sometimes space it and then get meaningful looks at the rim or just pretty much anywhere on the floor because it's just too easy for um, the defense to just send help to the paint and not and still be able to keep plenty of help on the shooters. So for, as far as Bryce Golden shooting evolution, I think it's definitely something that 
isn't going to single-handedly open up this offense, but I definitely think it's a good start. And I think that's kind of where we saw Xavier, you know, they were looking out for his shot a little bit more and that's what allowed AT to get much more better looks in the paint that game. Yeah. You speak of uh, Aaron Thompson and Bryce Golden in that game against Xavier. Both of those guys had not career highs, but close to career highs as Aaron Thompson was just one point away from his career high when he uh, pretty much uh, controlled the entire lane as he had 20 points uh, just right, pretty much all of them right below the basket as he was able to use his uh, body and just kind of body some of the Xavier guys who once again, Xavier's ranked number 22 uh, when they play them. And so being able to have him and space these guys out, just like you said, it could allow for Butler to actually start scoring more points because we've shown to have some, some struggles of trying to be able to score more than 70 points in recent games. But now that we have these guys hitting the shots, um, once that we get uh, like, basically once we get everyone healthy, because another note to, uh, to remind about is that Ty Gross, one of our seniors and big transfer that we had has been out in these last two games due to COVID. And so missing a guy like him has uh, at least allowed for more chances and opportunities for guys like Bryce Golden to Aaron Thompson for them to run offense through them, but has also led to some issues defensively, which I think has been one of the bigger struggles I think that Butler has had is yes, we've been able to hold teams below 80 points, but this game against Xavier was a little bit concerning because this game uh, that they played was the first time we've allowed uh, more than 80 points the entire season so far. So we're kind of headed in the wrong direction right now. So is there any hope for the Bulldogs trying to go for the future? Yeah, I mean, I certainly think there is some hope. It's tough because the Big East is so good this year. You know, I've said it before, but I'm going to continue to say it. I think the Big East is probably the second best conference in college basketball right now. And that is saying a lot for a conference that is non-Power 5. So even if we don't end up with the greatest record, that doesn't mean our season was instantly a flop or a failure because we may go second or third to last in the Big East. But depending on how the games go, we can still look at them and hang our hats on them and say, you know, we fought, we played well, we got development going. But so as far as how can Butler save their season, you know, if it doesn't necessarily have to be wins, how can you do it? Well, I think you really need to get some of these young players up to speed and it needs to happen fast. I'm looking at Jaden Taylor and Simas Lukosius. They're two players that they need to be able to take over this program next year, along with Chuck Harris and some of the other guys we have. I think they're, they're the high level recruits. And as of right now, I think it's really just a confidence thing with them. You know, again, we mentioned versus DePaul when like no, almost nobody was here at Hinkle because everybody was still home celebrating Christmas with their families. Uh, you know, these guys did great. And then, as far and once everybody starts coming back to campus, we play a ranked Seton Hall team. We play a ranked Xavier team. The Xavier game was a sellout too, by the way. So now it's I thought these guys just couldn't quite handle that pressure. They're still late on some defensive rotations, and so once they kind of sure up those kind of things, if I can look to all those guys and say, okay, now we can put them in. We can be confident they're not going to turn the ball over. We can be confident they're not going to miss defensive assignments. And they can be confident in their own ability to play, make, and shot make too. I think if those things happen, then it's, you know, it's, it is a successful season for Butler, you know, the rest of the way, even if it's not necessarily showing up in the win column. Yeah. You, you you mean uh, trying to get the young guys involved. There's been one uh, uh, storyline or head topic that has been just a big, big issue with, I say scoring over and over and over again. And we've been obviously getting better at that, but if there's one person we need, a little bit more help from, and that is Chuck Harris. And I will say it here and right now, I think Chuck Harris has the yips. And uh, from what we've seen so far is in his last like three games, he is just cannot hit the side of the barn. He's 
trying to post up and he just it looks like his confidence has just been ripped out of him. He like hesitates when he's like getting ready to shoot a three. It's like he doesn't look like the same Chuck Harris we saw last season, like when he was hitting game winners against Xavier in the Big East Conference to uh, force Butler uh, to continue to keep moving on and knock Xavier not only out of the Big East tournament, but entirely of the March Madness tournament, which was an amazing feeling nonetheless. But the fact that Chuck Harris obviously has been shooting five of 15, uh, he's been 0, for, 0 of 5 from three. Uh, this is before the game against uh, Xavier. Xavier, he came in and put up seven points and was able to score as he actually, before that game against Xavier, he didn't put up that many points for almost, or he didn't score obviously again in the game against Seton Hall. And then he scored very, very late in garbage time against Xavier. So the fact that he's shooting 27% from the floor is not good for a guy that was our leading scorer and has been in the past. Like against Oklahoma, he put up 26 points. He was our best scorer. Like, I'm just wondering where Chuck Harris is gone. Is there something wrong with him? What, what, what can we do to help save Chuck Harris? Yeah, there seems to be a lot of things all just kind of come coming in one with Chuck Harris right now as to why he's struggling. I think, you know, similar with the other guys, I think it's a confidence thing. You know, last year he was just playing with no regard for anybody else when he was out there on the court, because a lot of our offense was just, you know, Hey Chuck, just go put up a shot and see what you can get. So it didn't matter how bad of a shot he took because nobody cared because any shot he could get was considered the best shot that we could get. But now this year, you know, we bring in more people. There's a little bit more expectations, a little bit more pressure. I just think he never really got going at the beginning of the season. And then he started to get hot. And of course, as you mentioned, the highlight of that was the Oklahoma game where he just looked like last year's Chuck, where he was making big shots, leading the team in scoring, and then obviously converting that into wins too, because he's not a guy that, you know, puts up 20 points in blowout losses. He's the kind of guy that does it in crazy upset wins. Uh, But I just, he does have the yips. It looks like that, but it also looks like maybe it's a problem with him not starting because, you know, for so much of the season, he was starting and then he had to miss a game or two. And now with him coming back off the bench, he's came off the bench in all three uh, Big East games. And that's where he's just really struggled. And I don't know if, you know, maybe that has something else to do with it. If that that even lowered his confidence even more, putting him to the bench. And that's something that I think is going to be a really tough decision for Laval Jordan right now is what do you do with Chuck Harris? Do you insert him back into the starting lineup and just keep drawing up plays for him and giving him shots? But with the hope that that will get him out of his slump and that he'll shoot his way out of it. Or does he continue to bench him and draw up even less than offense for him and then just wait for him to, you know, uh, shoot his way out of the slump or, you know, to start shooting better so that way he can actually, you know, get looks again. I would probably lean with the former just because we know how Chuck, good Chuck Harris can be. And we talked about it last year, how he was just the man of our team. I would continue to just keep going to him and just, just keep riding it until the end of the season, honestly. I mean, if we go through the next three, four or five games and he continues shooting at this pace, then yes, you obviously have to switch it up. But for now, I don't want to see any more games where he's only getting two, three, four shots if we're struggling and we're down. I think he just needs to continue being featured and doing it early too. Even if he's coming off the bench, we just know that, you know, when he does come off the bench, if it's, you know, at the 12 minute timeout or even at the 16 minute timeout, that he's going to come in and he's going to be putting up shots and he's going to play that six man role where you come in and you're just instant offense off the bench. I think we need to kind of do something like that for him. Maybe just refine his role. I don't know. It just it looks like a combination of a lot of things, mental and physical right now with him. So I think I am a bit concerned at this point, but we know what kind of talent level he has. And just because the Oklahoma game wasn't too far back, I'm not that worried about it, but it would be nice to see some reassurance that he's still that same Chuck Harris. 
Yep, he is the explosion this offense needs. And <clears throat> if Laval Jordan is, has any hope of trying to revive this offense, I think it's going to have to go through Chuck Harrison. So who knows? We'll see if there's going to be any adjustments made after two big losses uh, in the Big East. Something needs to change. And so we've got an amazing uh, matchup coming up uh, this week against Georgetown on Thursday, um, January 12th. And so that game, uh, it's at Georgetown against a Georgetown team that is also struggling. Um, who recently also just blew an, a very big game and a very big lead against Marquette, who is another team that's been struggling. So Georgetown is sitting towards the bottom of the rankings. And if Butler looks to get back on track, they could win this game, get back at two and two, and maybe have a better chance and uh, more confidence and hope against uh, Villanova when they travel to Philadelphia to play the highly touted and Villanova team that struggled for a little bit, but now they, oh man, they are back. They are they are back and beating big teams again, and I am worried about that game. So, but Georgetown, do you have any hope? Do you think we got a chance against Georgetown? Absolutely, Villanova. I'm not so sure, but we can touch on them in a minute. Georgetown, they're kind of maybe in a tier just slightly above DePaul, where you definitely look to them, and that's a team you you want to beat at least once because if you're not splitting with Georgetown, then you look up against you look up and down the conference and you just wonder where the wins are going to come from. So this is definitely a team that you want to beat once, if not twice. Uh, they did beat us by 15 last year when we had to go at Georgetown. Um, we split with them. We won at home. So, you know, hopefully look to, you know, at least just compete in the game more because you just can't go down. You just can't go into these other places and then just go down big and try to work your way out of that hole. I want to see if we can say even with them, at least up until halftime, just try to start this game better. But as but to answer your question, do you think whether or not we can win that game? Yes, absolutely. We can and we should win that game versus Georgetown because even though they won the Big East last year in the tournament, that was kind of a Cinderella bubble run. And then a lot of their other guys from that team ended up transferring as well. So it just seems like Georgetown is in this weird state where they just keep recycling these teams uh, year in, year out, where they just, one team will, a whole set of team will transfer. They'll have to just bring in new guys, and those guys will transfer. So that they're going with a lot of struggles of their own right now. Patrick Ewing, who is regarded as a very good coach, but just uh, obviously, you know, a lot of personnel issues. So, you know, I absolutely think Georgetown is a team we can definitely beat, and we should at least split with them this year. I know there's, if there's one chance and one idea that we have to do in order to stop Georgetown, there's this guy. I know they have Aminu Muhammad, who's, one of the uh, preseason Big East freshman of the year, but there's another guy we have to do uh, is stop the three point shooting because if this Georgetown team gets hot, things are going to go the wrong way. And we've shown to struggle from or to guard from beyond the arc as teams usually beat us when they're shooting either from the free throw line or from beyond the arc. And I know that this Georgetown team has a guy named Caden Rice who already previously hit 10 threes in a game against UMBC previously in this game. This Georgetown team is also not to take for granted because they've also beaten a Syracuse team. That's also not very uh, bad at all. So um, the big East, once again, we say it's loaded again and again and again. And so Butler has to be prepared for anything. And uh, if we want any hope, got to try and make sure that uh, the Chuck Harris revival tour will hopefully be sooner than later, especially with a game like Villanova coming up, it's going to be, Really, really hard. We're traveling to the East Coast for the next six days, so it's going to be a long, long road trip. But I think the Bulldogs might be able to pull away with maybe one or maybe two games this week. But we'll, we'll have to see. So I think that's going to do it here for our men's basketball uh, coverage. So 
Good luck. Actually, Ethan, I did want to ask you one other thing while I'm yes. on here, if we have the time. Uh, obviously, this is a Butler podcast, but just looking at the Big East in general, do you think that one of these teams that we have played so far, Xavier, Seton Hall, or you know, a team that's coming up, Villanova, is really the team to beat? And who would you expect to kind of take the Big East right now? Ooh, I thanks for uh, cutting me off here. I would love to talk about this, obviously. So um, the Big East is, we say it, it's loaded, it's stacked. Any, any way to describe it, how... Uh, good this thing it's just so much elite play and elite players in this uh conference this year and i don't think yes the big east is not considered part of the power five but we like to count count it as the power six conference here in college basketball because the big east tries and include themselves but i think right now i know xavier has been doing really really great and i think they have a bright future i think seton hall has also been doing very really great but i think there's two teams that we still have yet to play that i think are going to be towards the top one of them, they're there every single year. They never go away. They haunt everyone in the Big East. They, they're always in their nightmares. It is Jay Wright and the Villanova Wildcats. They are there every year. That's such an elite program. that They just feed and feed and just puke out more and more just talent every single year. And so Villanova. Too I bad they can't win in Hinkle. It, exactly. We, <laughs> we, we've got the Hinkle magic on our side. Is we, we, always, we always find a way to win in those games. Um, but. I still think no matter what, yes, we could beat them in Hinkle, but I think they are the team to beat in the Big East. And also, I think the other team I haven't mentioned, well, it's been a little bit more under the radar, but I honestly love to watch this season. That's the Providence Friars. Holy moly, where have they come from, man? That team is one, I think that team has just been developing uh, over the years. And Ed Cooley has got such an amazing roster this year. And they are, they are able to have, they have everything. They have big men. Uh, in uh, Watson, they have Al Durham and they have, oh, I'm, I'm blanking on some of the other guys' names. I, I, I guarantee you I know all of them, but they have shooters all the way around. The, they can score anywhere and they've already been able to put up some big wins so far. I believe they are, I think they used to be 4-0, but they ended up losing one game. So I believe they're now 4-1, and but starting off that hot in the Big East and be able to play that many games this early also is an advantage for them because of you never know how you're going to be later in the season. So to be able to go out there, get those wins early and get the respect that early as well, I think uh, deserves some a little bit more credit for this Providence team. But, you know, those are my two top two teams. You asked me the same question. I'm curious if you have any more or do you like my opinion? Do you have any other teams you want to add into the mix? Yeah, obviously. I mean, of course, you always have to worry about Villanova. We, we know they're going to be there. And I do love your take on Providence. They were a team. They were ranked seventh in the Big East, a preseason coaches poll. And now look at them to be at the top of the conference. Truly is remarkable. And they, they do have a lot of go-getters too. They're, that team is scrappy. They play hard. So there's not, no doubt in my mind that that team will be up near the top and will be fighting for it in the end. But there's one other team that's kind of sliding under the radar right now. And for one, they've had a lot of COVID troubles. So they haven't played very many games. But that's the UConn Huskies because they were ranked second in that preseason poll just behind Villanova. So even though Villanova was considered a top 10 team uh, in the country coming into this year, you know, everybody pretty much had UConn right below them. And for good reason, too, there's three guys on this UConn team averaging 14 and a half points per game or more right now. And they have they also have big wins this year. They beat um, Auburn in a game that went to, I think, triple overtime or something like that. And when both of those teams were ranked very highly. And it just goes to show that this team is definitely um, not one to be messed around with. And when it's all said and done, you know, we'll see who wins the, like, the regular season, who gets the most wins. But when it comes to the Big East tournament, I would not be shocked at all if this UConn team ran the table. Yeah, one more note I would love to add is that that one game that Utah or UConn, excuse me, beat uh, Auburn in. Auburn has one loss this season. They're currently ranked 
in this week's rankings, number fourth in the country. Just, just, just to put that in perspective. So this team is able to be technically right now, the fourth team in the country. So this, I, I totally agree. This biggie is just loaded. I said it probably too many times this podcast, but I cannot reiterate it enough, but it's going to be a battle. Also, I mean, we, we forgot the Bulldogs. You never know with the Bulldogs, but we like to be honest here on this podcast and make sure uh, to provide the, the most honesty and trustworthy information here. So, but once again, yes, that's probably going to do it now for, um, for this section of the men's basketball. We love talking about it in this year is only getting to be more and more uh, with more just heating up and more and more. And I cannot wait to cover them. And hopefully uh, the next time we see you guys, we have another big upset either against Villanova or back in the winner's column. So, but thank you, James, once again, for joining us here. And that'll do it for men's basketball uh, section. And now I'm going to head to the conclusion. All righty. So before we go, we've got a few shout outs for some of the other athletes across the Butler Athletics not yet mentioned in this episode. First off, shout out to the six athletes on the Butler track and field team who won at least one event at the Gene Edmonds Memorial Invitational last Saturday. The day was highlighted by graduate student Nikki Ize by her winning in the long jump and topping it off by breaking the school record in the 60 meter hurdles. Also, shout out to the 10 student athletes who just signed to the Butler women's lacrosse team in 2022. We can't wait to welcome some of the new Bulldogs onto campus. That's going to do it for our fifth episode of the Butler Sports of Faith podcast. I want to thank Jake and James for taking the time out of their day to join me, as well as a special thanks to our producer, Eric Barnes, for all the work you do behind the scenes. Welcome back to Campus Bulldogs. I look forward to being back here next week for some Butler sports content. For the Butler Collegian, I'm Ethan Pollock. Go dogs! <laughs>